to grab one of these sheets uh, that are right over here. Um, this is mainly just to help us as we consider uh, the things that God is challenging us as we're studying His character and then using uh, the London Baptist Confession as uh, a bit of a, a framework in our walk through, uh, if you wanted to call it even a, a systematic theology, uh, trying to build a, a proper view of, of God, who He is. And as we have been walking through the, the confession, we've uh, encouraged ourselves to be considering that we must start with Scripture. We start with Scripture alone in all things. For it is God revealing Himself through Scripture. To uh, a week and a half ago, uh, the, the book was turned into a movie, uh, The Shack, and upon its release, uh, many Christians had said, hey, it's, it's just a challenge us to think about God. And uh, uh, William Paul Young, who wrote that book, uh, also released another book uh, with the, the movie that really helped us understand what the book, what the, the movie is all about. That it is not to help us to understand who God really is. In his own words, he says this, It is to understand who God really is, you can begin by looking at yourself, since you are made in his image. We understand that we do not see, understand who God is looking inside of ourselves, it is from outside of ourselves. And sadly, he spends 28 chapters attacking every core doctrine of Scripture, denying who God is. But we have the sufficient Word of God. And we can look and we see, as we've looked the last few weeks on who He is, that He alone is God. He exists in and of Himself. He doesn't change. He's incomprehensible. He is a spirit. He's infinite in every way. And last week, we saw that He is sovereign, directing and in control of all things. As we consider the attributes of God, let us be reminded that we have to study them all together. It's like trying to take one little piece of a puzzle. And if we, all we did was we examined that, we could build a wrong view of what the puzzle was really about. We might think that, that this is the overall picture, but we need to look at all of those and study them together because they are all linked together. Due to the nature of God not being able to be separated. They complement one another. They qualify one another. They influence one another. And so we have to kind of keep looking at how does this attribute affect this attribute and this attribute affect this attribute so that we build an accurate picture of how God has presented himself in Scripture. For his love is not just love, it is an infinite love, it is a holy love, it is a faithful love, it is an unchanging love. It is all those attributes together. Just like his judgment, his judgment is a merciful judgment, a loving judgment, a holy judgment, an unchanging judgment. Whenever God in scripture reveals a picture of who he is, he's emphasizing one attribute of himself, or maybe a couple, but just because he's, uh, he's bringing attention to it, we can't just make that null and void of the others that he reveals himself in different parts. Again, that analogy of scripture, scripture has to interpret scripture, and we see how beautiful it works together, and I believe that's especially important tonight. 
Look at the look at the par- the full paragraph of paragraph one again. This is there's so much in this one paragraph that uh, we're we're having to break it up. And uh, look at it on the screen behind me and follow along as I read this paragraph. The Lord our God is but one, one uh, excuse me one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of Himself, infinite in being and perfection whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions, who only hath the immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. Most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Tonight we're going to be looking at that uh, statement, not uh, sentence where we see it begins with most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The framers of the confession didn't just take a lot of that out of the air, but it actually comes directly from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Sound a little familiar? We see God speaking of himself, proclaiming who he is. We see the first kind of overarching idea, and if we kind of grab this whole section, an overarching theme of this would be that God is love. God is love. And the reason I said we have to keep all of his, God's attributes in line with one another and how they qualify one another is there's a, a, her, a heretical view called open theism that, that believes that, that God is that God is love, and all of his attributes flow out of his love. So his love is supreme and paramount, and that everything follows that. And there's a lot of tendency in our culture that that is our focus, that we look to God as love, and then it's, well, God is love primarily, and then these other things are secondarily. But that's dividing God's parts. We can't do that. We have to see all of them in a perfect harmony with one another. Just like Scripture says God is light, speaking of His holiness, it's just as, just as significant. And we can't magnify one attribute over another. We do see that He is the most loving. That He, more than any other, is loving because that is His nature. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It is his essence, just like his other attributes. It's not just something that he's like. It is that which he possesses and is. 
And God himself defines what is love and what is not. And his love is not compelled. Again, he is not adapted. He is not forced. Um, we talked about his, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Mr. Fell on the passions of God, that he's not dictated to and directed by outside emotions. And that's how we see John 3.16. God was not obligated when we see that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A lot of people will say, well, God created because he was lonely and he needed someone to show his love. His love was perfect in the triune God. I heard just this past week that you, you take the God of Islam who is not triune, how, it's impossible for him to be loved because how can he show that love? We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit showing that within the Godhead in a perfect way. And then we see it reflected upon mankind. He is most loved. And secondly, it says, gracious. Really following the pattern, He is most loving, most gracious, most merciful. The God is a God of grace. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace we are saved. And amazingly enough, that grace is a stumbling block. For man wants to build all these things and say, no, God can't be gracious based upon just his own free will. It must be because I've done something that he is gracious toward me. And we build works-based righteousness. We speak often of two kinds of grace, a common grace that God shows to all mankind, and a saving grace. Both of them are not earned. Both of them are a work of his sovereign choice. So God is most loving, most gracious, and then almost kind of a twin that goes so well together to see His grace and His mercy. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He is the Father of mercy because that is who He is. Micah 7.18 says he delights in mercy. And so we see this beautiful picture. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Let me use this picture. Mercy withholds the knife from the heart of Isaac. Grace provides a ram in the thicket. Mercy runs to forgive the prodigal son. Grace throws a party with a ring and a fattened calf. Mercy hears the cry of the thief on the cross. Grace gives paradise that same day. Mercy closes the door to hell. Grace opens the door to heaven. Mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Grace, we get what we don't deserve. You see the difference there? It's a beautiful picture there. They go hand in hand. You realize God would have been perfectly fine to have just given us mercy. He would have been fine not giving us anything, but he could have stopped at mercy. Where would we have been? I don't know. We wouldn't have been in hell. And maybe that's a, a Dante's limbo, isn't that? That we're kind of caught in some middle ground. But God is merciful at not giving us what we do deserve. He is gracious to give us what we don't deserve. 
He's loving, He's gracious, He's merciful, and He's long-suffering. When I was studying Hebrew, this is one of the most beautiful words in Hebrew. The picture of His loving kindness is often how it's translated. His long-sufferingness, literally His loyal love. We see it in Romans 3.25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, speaking of Christ, through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because of His, and this is that loving kindness, His forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. That we don't get the judgment upon our sin at that moment. For if God was not long-suffering, every one of us would die in the womb. For we're all brought forth from iniquity. But God withholds His wrath upon the just and the unjust. And that's His long-suffering. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but His long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Psalm 136, the, really the whole psalm is a repetition of this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. But I think the, the New King James misses the, the translation. It's not really about mercy. It's that chesed, His loving kindness, His loyal love. For His love, steadfast love endures forever. Do you notice that it, steadfast love forever? That's that, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, it changes never. We, we see how his character is, is in every attribute equally. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness. He is good to all. The Psalm 145, 8 and 9 says, look at how many of these um, kind of pieces that we've seen are all, all, all throughout many scriptures. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, that's the loving kindness, and great in mercy, the Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all of His works. They all relate to one another. First Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is what? Good. His mercy endures forever. We see that God is... He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Matthew 5.45 He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He is abundant in goodness. He is abundant in truth. This word truth can also be translated faithfulness. He is true because He is the one true God. All things are false. He is true, and what comes out of Him is true. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? This is where we see the impact that we can rely that God will do what he said he will do. And the accuracy of his works. The great passage, Isaiah 46, 9-11, but verse 11 
speaks about how, how God says he will tell the bird of the prey from the east, and the man that executes my counsel from a far country, indeed I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will also do it. That God doesn't just say things and not follow through, but there's a truthfulness and a faithfulness of that. He is forgiving. And I was trying to figure out, as I was reading the confession, why they put iniquity, transgression, and sin. You know why they put it in there? Because that's what Exodus 34 says. I mean, I, I don't really know a big difference. I mean, there's tiny, tiny subtleties in the, each of those words. But I think it's because they were showing that this is Exodus 34. That iniquity is not doing what is right. Transgression is the breaking of a law. Sin is the, the breaking of the law as well. And notice that that is what comes out of his character. That he forgives iniquity. He forgives transgression and sin. We have an amazing God. Who is not far off. As we saw two weeks ago. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. He takes care of the sparrows. And not just on a physical level. But he provides forgiveness. He provides forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. And as a gracious God, as a most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, He also is the rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. He's not some person who, who, who we can maybe bring and, and kind of project onto God that He's sitting back with anger and, and never showing any kindness. It is His kindness that seeks us out. And yes, we remember that Romans 3 says, None seek after God. In our flesh, we don't. But when His sovereign grace changes our hearts, we do seek after Him. Like Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Where did they get the phraseology for that line? Hebrews 11. What an amazing reminder as we think about God's love and forgiveness that Christ's death provided forgiveness. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. But that atonement has a dual work. It wipes away our sin and no longer our, our sin seen, but Christ's righteousness is laid on top of us. And His righteousness is a covering to us for His children by faith. What a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness and His mercy. 